Welcome, everybody, to episode 16. Uh, glad you guys have been patient with me. I didn't want to record anything, you know, after the quarterfinals, um, before the semifinals, or even before the finals. So, you know, uh, unfortunately for me, my Portugal lost in the quarters in a tough game against Morocco. Morocco was unbelievable this tournament, played really well, uh, you know, grew a big fan base, obviously, which is great. Um, so it's nice to see uh, the first African team make a semifinals at the World Cup, and the way they did it was spectacular. Uh, Portugal didn't have an answer for them, unfortunately. Uh, Morocco goes up one nothing. If you watch the game or know what you're looking for, you see you see Morocco go up one nothing, um, and you see Portugal really trying to penetrate that that defense from Morocco, and unfortunately they couldn't. Uh, and part of the reason that happened was Morocco kind of lined up in a, you know, I don't want to call it anti-football or, or anything of that nature, but they got defensive. They lined up five in the back and, you know, Portugal couldn't penetrate past those five and it made it really difficult. So congrats to them. Overall, um, you know, I want to start the show with a little kind of World Cup recap in terms of what we saw, what we learned um, how we felt, uh, or not we, but, you know, I want to give you my perspective on some things. A few quick things for you. Um, this World Cup, to me, um, you know, had its moments, uh, highs, lows. Um, you know, uh, it's always exciting to get to watch a World Cup, but something felt different about it in terms of what we were watching. Maybe it was just the time of year. Um I don't know. I don't know. I think I've spoken to others about this and they felt the same. Uh, they just had a kind of a different um, different opinion or a different feeling inside of them in, in terms of this World Cup. And I don't know what it was, if it was kind of all the, the controversy behind, you know, building the stadiums, if it was um, the way it was done, or even, you know, for me, in some cases, it could have been the injuries, right? All the injuries that were suffered, not only you know, by, by Portugal because they lost, you know, Diego Jota, um, but all, all the other stars that weren't able to play uh, at this, at the World Cup, you know, Sadio Mane, Kunku for France, Pogba, um, N'Golo Kante. So, you know, for me, um, you know, I'm probably missing some others, you know, Benzema and no, no disrespect to them. But, you know, I had a hard time I guess really enjoying it as much as I could. Um, that might have changed, though, if Portugal won, obviously, or the United States. But, you know, I kind of want to just give you kind of a little kind of synopsis in how I feel um, about the World Cup. Uh, you know, for me, um, Morocco was obviously the standout kind of surprise in what they did. Uh, Australia, you know, Denmark was really disappointing uh, at the World Cup. Uh, Germany was disappointing um belgium and canada disappointing i expected a lot more from canada belgium i kind of expected them not to get out of the group um i know i sound like oh you, you didn't say that or you know i i you know after looking at things at that point in time i thought belgium was gonna have a hard time but i thought canada was gonna be that team and morocco ended up winning that group so um brazil getting eliminated in the quarters that didn't surprise me much i had stated that months ago um, in the EPL fantasy chat room, uh, of which uh, I think a $100 bet was made, and I can't remember who the individual was. Um, so if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you owe me $100. Bucks. Um, DM me on Instagram. We can figure out payment for that. 
so, um, you know, Portugal won their group. They look great. Uruguay, uh, you know, unfortunately finished third. Um, I think Uruguay is going to be excellent for 26. They're going to be one of the, the big favorites, I think, in terms of what they have. And looking ahead, you know, even Group G, I mean, Serbia was extremely disappointing um, at this World Cup as well, given the talent that they have. They just couldn't put it together. So, you know, overall, a pretty decent World Cup. Congratulations to Lionel Messi, who has really cemented himself as uh, probably the greatest player of this generation, as much as that pains me to say, uh, being Portuguese and being biased towards Ronaldo. He's won a World Cup. Ronaldo hasn't won a World Cup. Now, the question will be uh, in terms of, is this the last World Cup for both of those stars? I don't think so. And I'm going to get into that later. But, um, you know, so congratulations to Messi and Argentina. I think Argentina, um, I don't think their coach is getting enough credit. Uh, let me tell you why. They lose that opening game to Saudi Arabia. And um, I think he realized he needed to make some adjustments. The two adjustments he made was, you know, bring in uh, Julian Alvarez and then um, – Enzo Fernandez, right? Uh, Enzo won the um, the Young Player of the Tournament award, uh, and rightfully so. I think he deserved it. it. You can make a case for Alvarez too, but I think Alvarez is what is he twenty three now? If I remember correctly, I could be wrong on that. Um, but um, yeah, I think Alvarez is what is he? Alvarez is twenty two. So. Enzo's 21, just turned 21. Um, so I understand maybe the age was a factor in giving that award out. But I think Enzo had such an impact when they brought him onto that team uh, that it elevated Argentina. I think both did, right? Uh, and I'm not being a homer because I'm a Benfica fan, but Enzo plays for Benfica, for those that don't know um, which club team he plays for. Um, and he's not a hidden secret. Like many of the commentators had stated during the World Cup that he came out of nowhere. He didn't come out of it. He did not come out of nowhere. Um, he's a very influential player. He's been at Benfica. People know who he is. Uh, people know who he was in Argentina. Um, you know, he, you know, he plays a central midfielder um, uh, at Benfica, played at River Plate before, uh, was on loan um, at the Fisica Justicia. Uh, in Argentina. So kid is not, uh, didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, kid's uh, an unbelievable player. Um, let's, you know, face the facts here. He's such, he has such an influence on the game um, and how it plays. And some of that could be the, you know, um, the focus on Messi where he became a little by, by the, the other, the other team where he became a kind of a focal point uh, to run, offense for them and pass in, you know, the passing, his passing abilities is uncanny. I watched him on Bifika this year. Um, he is one of the top um, uh, passing success rates uh, percentage wise in Europe. And I think he actually might be the number one uh, in that statistic. If I had, remember, I had done some research about this a while back and he is just, um, you know, he's incredible. He's incredible. So if you get a chance to watch him, um, he, he's still in the Champions League with Benfica, still in the Champions League, still one of the teams that remains undefeated um, in Europe, along with PSG. You know, this year at Benfica, he's got uh, one goal, three assists in, in 13 games um, in the Portuguese League. He's got two assists in the Champions League in five games. So, and he had two goals in the, qualify, in the qualifying rounds of the Champions League. So, 
kid can play. Uh, he's not not well known. He's well known, very well known. So, you know, uh, I just, you know, I think he definitely deserves the award. Um, and I know Slapstocks Aaron was talking about it on his podcast on Monday, and he felt that Julian Alvarez should have won it. But if we're going up by, if we're going off goals scored, yeah, of course you would give it to Julian Alvarez. But we don't go off goals scored when you're trying to give the award to the best young player of the tournament. I think generally uh, that award is based on the impact a player makes on a team uh, in, in their success. So I certainly think Argentina without Enzo does not get to where they are. They don't hoist the trophy. I, I really firmly believe that. Uh, just an excellent player. Um, he doesn't have a prism card, which sucked. Uh, it's too bad he doesn't have a prism card. Uh, he does not have any cards, actually, besides I think there's a Panini instant um argentina card that you can get uh, online again those cards that i'm pack pulled don't necessarily offer uh hobby allure as you call it um you know julian alvarez got a panini instant that um hasn't really moved much to, you know it's moved a little bit maybe and maybe even dropped the last time i looked so good for argentina winning um good for Lionel messi claiming that prize uh you know, and I, you know, I posted something on Instagram earlier this week and a one of my followers came at me a little strongly and, and pushing, pushing the narrative that uh, Messi is the greatest player um, ever, if I can remember correctly what was said. And, you know, my opinion on that was, my opinion is that the best two players I've ever seen play, uh, and I'm going to talk two, not three, but the best two players I've ever seen play are Zidane and Maradona. Uh, I am a little older, so I have seen Maradona play. Um, and when I say those two names, what I'm referring to is the impact they would have on games and they wouldn't need to score goals. So, um, and if we look at in Argentina without Messi's goals, they probably don't advance. So uh, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of the best players I've seen. Uh, and the positions they played at and how they influenced games in the manner they did. So, uh, and, you know, you're free to disagree. Uh, I'm going to respect your opinion. Again, this is a sport that we all love, we all cherish, and we enjoy moments like this. But these are opinions. They're not facts. Somebody can say Messi's the best player in the world. They might be right. They might be wrong. It's not a fact. It's not – you can't provide factual evidence of that. Um you know, it's kind of like saying the argument in the NBA is uh, LeBron's better than Michael Jordan. That's not true to me. I mean, for me, I think Michael Jordan's better than LeBron. I mean, if you ask me, I think Larry Bird is better than LeBron. But that's, you know, that's an opinion. It's not a factual thing. You can't really uh, prove things based on numbers because numbers, they matter, but they don't. You know, uh, look at Tom Brady. He's won, you know, so many Super Bowls. Um, and I still... Uh, have the opinion that Montana's is right there with them, very close to him. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so great World Cup, uh, fantastic World Cup. Um, it just felt a little different to me uh, this year, and I don't, I can't really explain why. Um, you look at some of the uh, the the best performances of the World Cup. I mean, Gonzalo Ramos in terms of a hobby aspect, you can't make that up. He comes into the game, scores three goals, uh, replaces Ronaldo in starting lineup. Scores three goals to kickstart his kind of international debut, or uh, I think it was his second or third appearance for Portugal. Three goals, hat trick, and he's 
he's a real player. He's a he's a really talented player. Um, that is going to move probably in the summer. I don't see Benfica selling Enzo or Gonzalo Ramos in this transfer window in January. I think he goes in the summer along with Enzo. Uh, Liverpool's got the inside on Enzo already, it seems like. Um, it seems like Madrid's interested. I don't know how many more young players Madrid needs in that midfield, but, they man, they are trying to stock up. Um, Ramos, there's been a lot of rumors. United, uh, there's been Newcastle's in the fray. Um, I'd like to see him in the Premier League somewhere uh, where he can play, obviously not sit on the bench. I think he's made for that for that league. Um, you know, Ramos, uh, he's so talented. He can play either wing. He can also play uh, the striker like we saw, the position that we saw him play. He can also play the kind, of, kind of like a number 10 role too. He's that adept to doing that. People forget at Benfica when Darwin Nunez was there, Ramos was often either playing wings or he's playing the center forward position. So, he is extremely capable, extremely capable, and he is uh, multifaceted in that manner that he is able to do those things. So um, I'd watch for him. Uh, for those that have been watching me on whatnot since January of last year or um, have been kind of following my Instagram, I've been talking about Gonzalo Ramos for a long time. Um, so it's funny to hear when I see people say that they've been following Gonzalo Ramos for, for two years and three years. Come on. Look yourself in the mirror. You haven't. So, um, but it's okay. Uh, it seems like a lot of you made profit. Some of you guys thanked me. I appreciate that in the DM. Um, I had my gold atomic. I didn't sell it. Uh, I did not sell it. I refused to sell it. I put it up on eBay for an extraordinary amount just to test the water, just to see how many offers would come in. I had one strong real offer at 1100 I declined it. Uh, just because I believe in the player and I believe in his long-term aspect. And I'm a Bayfica fan. And I love gold atomic refractors. So that for me is important. But we had some really great performances at this World Cup. Um, that one sticks out to me being a Portugal fan. Rafael Leão, uh, you know, wish he could have started. I think the next coach for Portugal is going to figure out a manner to get those guys all in together. João Felix was, you know, unbelievable. So influential in every game for Portugal. Um Quite possibly, uh, maybe the best player for Portugal at the uh, at the tournament. Either him or Bruno, I would say, in my estimation. Uh, even Bernardo Silva, while I didn't get on the stat sheet or the assist sheet, um, that guy is a boss, man. Bernardo Silva is a boss in the midfield. Just does a lot of crazy things. Um, coming all the way back, the center backs helping them. So, you know, that's kind of my Portugal overview. Um, I talked a little bit about Argentina. Brazil really disappointed in them, obviously. You know, I had stated that they wouldn't get out of the quarterfinals months ago, uh, and then I kind of changed my mind as a tournament, and I said, well, maybe this Brazil team is the real deal, and they can really do uh, some damage, and I thought they could. I'm not sure what happened in that game. I think there was a little lack of concentration and focus in their Croatia game, uh, particularly from Fred at that stage of the game where they're up by one. Uh, I think in extra time, I think you as a coach, and this is probably the coach's responsibility, you got to make your players aware of what's going on and what and what the situation in the game is versus, you know, we got to play this way, we got to play beautiful, we got to play, you know, you're there to win games. Let's just call it like it, see it. You know, you're there to win games, and that's what you're supposed to do. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or about it. Uh, this is not uh, professional wrestling where – there's a script to follow those types of things. So, you know, too bad for Brazil. They'll be back. They're going to be really talented. 
Um, Netherlands showed some strength. I don't. I still don't think Netherlands is. Um, I think they have a huge uh, edge because of coaching Louis Van Gaal, but now he stepped down. Uh, and now Ronald Koeman comes in, former Barcelona, former Benfica uh, coach, former I think he was a coach at Southampton as well. Um, I don't like the prospects of him as a coach. I, I didn't like him at Benfica when he was there. I, I just you know, I think Netherlands could regress at this point with him as a coach. We'll see at the at the Euros in in two years. United States, I'm pretty excited for what we have to come uh, to look forward to, obviously, in 26. Some really nice young talent, some players that played really well. The Gio Reyna um, kind of situation is unfortunate, uh, but I think as a young player, he will grow from that and be better. Question is, do they keep Greg on or not? I don't know. Uh, I would, you know, my opinion, I think it's time to move on from him. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, I'm not saying you have to go foreign, but I think at this point you probably need to go to a foreign coach uh, that can enhance the program a little bit better, find that number nine that you need. And is Ricardo Pepe the nine? I don't know. Um, you know, Tyler Adams impressed me uh, again. Um, just, man, incredible player, really good player. Uh, Eunice Musa, he's only 19. Good God, how good is he going to be in four years uh, at that World Cup? Um you know, so a lot to look forward for the U.S., France. I'm not sure what happens here, but if you have Mbappe on your team, it doesn't matter what else is there. You're going to be just fine. Their midfield is going to be loaded. Shumeni, Kamavinga will be back, obviously, at their ages. They're young. We'll see what they do with their back line um, and their goalkeeping spot. Um, they're going to be just fine. Spain is going to be fine, too. Uh, they have some really nice young talent, but they're also missing a number nine uh, player to really uh, help them uh, go forward. Pedri and Gabi, they had their moments of brilliance at the World Cup, but I don't think they were overall that impressive um, throughout or as consistent as it should have been. Germany with Musiala, uh, you know, they could be great in, in the next four years as well. Musiala is going to be a hell of a player. Um, that kind of uh, the class that the Sarkar United called the uh, the Jude class, man, he's another one out of that class. Musiala is going to be an, an incredible player for Germany for many years to come. He just does things that I that I, I can't see other players doing. He's just an incredible player. So, um, you know, I want to be able to kind of give you kind of a breakdown of like what I look for in 2026, right? Uh, it's really hard to kind of gauge where I see those things. I think Portugal, Uruguay, I think Brazil, I think France because they have Mbappe, Spain, um, Argentina, surely, uh, England, um, the United States, I think it's going to be, those teams are going to be, I think, contenders. I really do. Uh, United States could become a contender. We'll see. Um, but I think you're going to have those same teams kind of battling it out again uh, in terms of who is who is the best. Uh, Belgium, I think, is going to be in a transition period with their golden generation. So we'll see what happens um, with them. Uh, and, um, you know, looking forward to, to seeing what, Euros 2024 brings us, especially with a big team like Italy that didn't make the World Cup, what they bring to that to that tournament. All right. So this is the part of the show that's both depressing, optimistic, and uh, I'm going to say controversial. Um, even though I'm not trying to be controversial here. But I want to talk a little bit about Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think some people are really taking to the fact that 
you know, posting the Leo Messi is better than Ronaldo. There's only one goat now. Um, and I think that distracts from the attention that Leo Messi should be getting. If you are mentioning Ronaldo in the same sentence as Messi at this point, and you're celebrating uh, Lionel Messi winning the World Cup, shame on you. Um, because if you truly feel that Messi is the GOAT, you shouldn't be even mentioning Cristiano Ronaldo in the same discussion. Which leads me to believe that you may have uh, mixed feelings on on making Messi, crowning Messi that guy. I'm not going to disagree at this point in time. Messi is uh, this the best player of this generation, without question. He's won a World Cup. He won the Copa. He's won Champions League titles. He's won all those Ballon d'Ors, etc., etc., etc. The list goes on. Ronaldo has done the same. Um, not a World Cup, though. He won a European title. He won a nation, a nation League title. So he had two international titles. Messi had uh, one at that point, and now they're kind of tied up here. Um, you know, you look at Ronaldo's career and what he's done uh, in a country that is only 9 million people, right? Their pool of players are a lot smaller than many other countries. Um, but it just goes to tell you the quality that is available in Portugal. You know, um, Portugal before Ronaldo had only qualified for three major tournaments, if you think about that for a second, uh, before his debut. For many years, Portugal was seen as a football powerhouse with a lot of great talents, the likes of Luis Figo, the likes of Paulo Souza, the likes of Rui Costa, Fernando Couto, who went on to Barcelona, Vitor Bahia, who went on to Barcelona. Um, I can keep going on, down the list. Paulo Futre, who uh, became Atlético Madrid legend, uh, and at the time he was called Portugal's Maradona. Um, but there's so many, there's so many great talents in Portuguese history as compared to even other countries uh, where you say, you know, how did Portugal not qualify all those years for tournaments and, and whatnot? Well, part of it is obviously the, the federation issue um, that they've had through the years, uh, and I'm not going to speak too much on that, but let's focus on Ronaldo. So, you know, before, before Ronaldo, they qualified for three major tournaments. Um, after Ronaldo or during Ronaldo's time, they've qualified for every major tournament. Uh, albeit some were in playoff uh, situations um, versus Sweden, for example, a few years back, or excuse me, that was before 18, um, against Serbia this past year for the World Cup. And people are like, well, why can't they just qualify? It's just easier. I think you, I think many of you forget that European countries have a lot harder time in these, uh, in terms of qualifying because the competition in Europe is a lot more fierce than anywhere else in the, in the world. Look at Italy. They won the Euros. They didn't even qualify for the World Cup. And I continue to stand by when I say it, that winning the Euros is a harder achievement than it is to win um, the World Cup. I really firmly believe that. Uh, and nobody's going to take me off that perch either. I, I believe that inconclusively. Uh, you talk about, uh, and I am a homer, obviously, talking about Portugal. But look at Portugal, 2016. They make it to the finals versus France. They beat France in Paris. The finals are in uh, France because France was the host for the Euros 2016, 2016. Against all odds, Ronaldo comes off injured in the 25th to 28th minute. I can't even remember. And Portugal goes on to win. So, so a lot of this, you know, you think about Ronaldo, they've qualified for every major championship. At that point, they've won two. They won the Euro. They won the Nations League, the inaugural edition. He's broken many records for goal scoring. Uh, he's got the most international goals ever. Um, and then he gets left on the bench in a knockout game uh, in the World Cup. And 
you know, that's a really tough spot for Fernando Santos to be in. You brought in Gonzalo Ramos last game. He scores three. How do you bench the guy? You can't. Um, and at the same time, you have to look at Fernando Santos and say, well, did we bring on Ronaldo too late uh, in that game uh, in terms of, you know, we're down one nothing. You know, Ramos isn't doing much. He was really locked up in that game. Um, you know, and I actually, I'm going to take a step back because I'm going to take a step back into the summer with United, Ronaldo's, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to put blame here. I think this is part of the reason why Ronaldo didn't have a great World Cup. He didn't see a lot of game time. Um, Eric Ten Hang has something to do with that, obviously, making that decision. Um, you know, and as a uh, Ronaldo supporter or uh, what I, I was formerly a, a decent um, United supporter, um, I got to go back and say, well, without Ronaldo, Manchester United is not even playing in the Europa League this year. Think about that for a second. He scored 24 goals last year for that United team that could barely score. He was a big factor. Eric Ten Hag comes in, decides that, nope, he's not going to start. He'll start occasionally, and that, that that's it. Uh, I, I just I don't understand. I'm not trying to make excuses here, but if you have a player that isn't playing and then he goes to the World Cup and he's expected to perform at that kind of level, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't care if your name is Cristiano Ronaldo or not. Um, same thing could be said for Messi, right? If Messi doesn't get the game time, he's probably not going to perform at the level you expect him. That goes for any sport, any player, really, uh, in terms of being patient. Um, so, you know, um, and unfortunately for Ronaldo, a lot of people uh, have, you know, in essence, turned their back on him or um, kind of said it's done, he's done with, he's over. Um, I'm actually a little, a little bit more optimistic about this. I think Ronaldo, knowing who Ronaldo is and the person, the type he is, I mean, I don't know on a personal level, but knowing the type he is, the type of person he is and how he takes uh, criticism from, from people in the media, he's going to want to try to prove people wrong. Uh, it is being reported today, actually, oddly enough that I'm recording this on a Tuesday, that he wants to play at the next World Cup. And I think that that Messi winning this World Cup may have sparked that that motivation that he wants. I for sure see him playing at the Euros, whether it is with uh, with Portugal. I think I, I really do. I don't see how you can't, even if you bring him a guy off the bench. And uh, and who knows what happens if there's one guy that can beat um, the critics and, and and kind of prove people wrong. It's Ronaldo. That's the guy that I think can do it. Uh, I still firmly believe a game on the line. You give him the ball, let him let him play. Um, but that's my opinion. So, and people can disagree. But I think Ronaldo's not done, and I think a lot of us have written him off and said he's done. I, I know for me, for one, I was a guy that was talking about, you know, maybe he's maybe he's just too old now. Maybe he just can't do it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe Ronaldo is going to try to prove the world wrong and try to do something, um, and then try to prove. The, the messy uh, goat sayers wrong too. I mean, what would happen in a what if situation if Ronaldo comes back to Portugal and he's 40-41 at the next World Cup and he hoists that title, uh, then what? Then what do we say? Uh, we also forget that Ronaldo's two years older than Messi. So, you know, when you look at careers, obviously Messi right now, I've already said that beforehand, he's got the World Cup. He is above Ronaldo now. I just calling out those people that keep bringing up the discussion of there's only one goat. If Ronaldo is still on your mind, then he's still on your mind, apparently. 
Um, so I don't know. Uh, it, it'd be interesting to see where Messi's at in two years from now as well, in terms of if he slows down or not. They are two vastly different players. Um, Ronaldo, in terms of the physicality he's had to deal with, having played in the Premier League um, for those years, having been knocked out, knocked down, tackled, uh, and Messi's gone through it too, right? Um, and Ronaldo was a left winger. People forget that when he first started. So a lot of running, a lot of attrition uh, on his legs, uh, the physicality. So we'll see what happens. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but, um, you know, if there's a guy that's going to try to prove the world wrong, it's probably Ronaldo. And then at that point, what do, you, what do we say? How do we look at the perspective of, okay, is Ronaldo now the go because he wins the World Cup? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Um, small inkling that that happens, but you never know in this world uh, what could happen. He certainly has the ability to do it. He certainly is a man that is possessed at times with winning. Um, I only know probably in my lifetime another guy like him. Uh, again, not somebody I know personally, but um, I'm thinking about Michael Jordan, a guy that, you know, left the game for a year, came back and just won. Uh, so Ronaldo's the ultimate competitor. I, you know, I think um, I'm going to make a prediction that he does come back for the Euros and then he does go to the World Cup, I think, in, in 26. Uh, and maybe that's a swan song for him and he tries to prove people wrong. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see because he's coming into an era where Portugal's going to have a lot of young talent uh, as much as anybody else in the world. Uh, now, whether the problem with Portugal now is who's going to coach them. The rumors are Mourinho is in the, is being looked at. Uh, I think Roma is probably reluctant to let him coach both Roma and uh, Portugal. Roma may consider it if there's a financial implication involved in it. We'll see. Um and the question is, can Mourinho focus on both jobs at the same time? I'm not sure. I'm not really not sure what the kind of um, logistics are when you're trying to coach two teams like that, a club team and then a, um, a country team. So we'll see what happens. Uh, apparently, you know, Louis van Gaal has thrown his name off. Uh, he's left uh, the Netherlands, but he said, if Portugal's interested, I'm definitely open to coaching them. Uh, really interesting. And that's been reported today. Um, so, I mean, I'm not sure I'm a Louis van Gaal guy for the job, but if there's a guy that knows X's and O's, it's him and Mourinho. I think Fernando Santos is what we call a uh, player manager. He knows how to manage players correctly, knows how to use them um, effectively. Um, I think Mourinho and van Gaal, the ultimate guys that know how to coach um, players, know how to coach greatness, and know actually know how to play to the team's strengths with what they do. Um, Mourinho, in some cases, has made players feel like they're the best in the world. Uh, and you can look back at um, Inter Milan, look at the players he had there and what he was able to accomplish with them. So we'll see what happens with Portugal. Again, they're going to need to find a new coach. Um, that could play a, a big factor in everything that's that, that's going to be going on with Ronaldo, uh, whether the new coach has that relationship with him or not, uh, to be able to allow him to kind of come back or not come back because he hasn't really – given up on the national team. That's another thing. People forget Messi gave up on the Argentinian national team, not only on one occasion, but on two occasions he quit and he came back. But, you know, I'm just trying to play both sides here of this GOAT discussion. Uh, again, Messi won the World Cup. He is now the greatest player of this generation. Um, 
Mbappe may have something to say for that too. If Mbappe wins the next World Cup, then what? Then what do we say? Or a Champions League? He hasn't won a Champions League yet, so he needs to win a Champions League. Um, so we'll see. It's really interesting times right now in terms of what's going on uh, in the world. You have a, a player that's achieved greatness. Um, or here, he, he was already great. Um, Lionel Messi. I continue to say that we are very lucky to see these. Both of these players perform at the levels they performed at. Just really incredible players, Ronaldo and Messi. Um, and this next generation of Mbappe and Holland are going to be kind of, you know, what's next uh, for these guys. So um, really, really, really kind of an interesting time uh, for soccer uh, in this world. All right. I want to talk a little bit more card-related information. So I want to specifically talk about um, this past year's Merlin uh, Chrome. I've been noticing an interesting trend lately, um, and I'm going to make an assumption at, uh, about it. Uh, it. You know, either this assumption, you know what they say about assumptions, it can make an asset of you and me, or, uh, you know, vice versa. So um, one of the things I am noticing, and maybe somebody else has noticed this, or maybe they haven't, um, Atomic refractors. And I'm not talking about the golds. I'm talking about the regular atomic refractors number to 250. One of the things I've been noticing with these cards is that they are selling. Uh, and I've been I'm currently trying to do a little research on this to make an Instagram post about it and kind of supply the data that I need to out of card ladder, out of PSA to do kind of a... Uh, a little more insight into graded and non-graded, right? Um, I am noticing that the atomic refractors that are numbered out of 250, numbered to 250, I should say, right? Out of this year's Chrome, and it's probably the same case for last year. I probably need to study it a little bit more. They're selling for more money than the other uh, parallels. Uh, and I'm going to talk primarily because I only looked at of 99 and up. Um of the parallels i get the 50s and they're gold and the um, atomic refractors that are gold as well of 50 uh, those are going to sell for more obviously but starting to see you know a few different things here uh, for example i'll give you an example cristiano ronaldo and these are non-graded obviously um of 190 of 99 just sold for 14 dollars and 49 cents okay Again, these are small samples, but there's a trend here that I'm seeing that's really kind of interesting. Then you have Ronaldo's of 250, uh, the Atomic Refractors. We have two of them here recently. One sold for $17.99 and the other sold for $24, okay? If you look at Ariel Shuameni for France, right? He's got a, um, he, I saw a PSA 10 of 250 sell for 185 um on the seventh and i'm even later but this month so we'll just go on from that um and then another one that sold for 154 we have mateus tell that sold for 177.50 uh psa 10 um another atomic refractor there of 250 for so 177.50 and aqua sold for 43 which was a psa 10 a sesco uh, atomic base sold for 28 so Merlin Chrome of 250, the atomic refractors are commanding more money 
than some of the lower numbered stuff. So the, of the 99s, of the 199s, uh, I can't remember the others, but it's really interesting to me because for me, obviously for eye appeal, I prefer the of 250 atomic refractor. They're beautiful cards, no question. Um, and that leads me to kind of the collecting side. As a collector, it seems like the hobby is starting to turn more into the collector and the PC phase. Uh, and why is that important? Uh, so for one, it's important because the collectors have deemed that of 250 is scarce enough for them to buy and to hold because there aren't a many, there aren't a lot of them listed on eBay. I have a few of the rookies um, that I'm probably just going to grade. Um, you know, the right grading's cheap enough now that that risk is kind of very minimal. So I would start looking at some of your 250s if you have any of your Merlin Chromes uh, sets uh, or that you've ripped uh, and take a look at some of those rookies. Um, even, um, you know, I've seen uh, some of the, I mean, this set has been really good. Uh, Mbappe Refractor PSA 10 sold for $36. An Mbappe Base PSA 10 sold for $47. Um, and I told people that base was relevant still. Uh, I think people are falling in love with the Merlin brand. And that's part of this. Um, so take a look at what you have um, from the breaks that you've done for Merlin. And, you know, start to think about possibly grading those. I think it's a good play. I think the market's becoming more collector-driven versus the flippers. Um, and people are holding on to some of this stuff. I know I have a few that I have here that I need to grade, such as like Harvey Vale and Oliver Skip. Uh, you know, some players like that, some rookies that I have that I like to like to send in, and I probably will. Um, you know, I just picked up a Renier Jesus from last year's Merlin Six. I'm still buying him when I see his stuff. That was the seven dollars. I mean, I mean, I can't lose it. That's a low risk play. But it's really interesting to me to see that some of these atomic refractors are selling for more than even of the 99s. Um, you know, a Ronaldo Aqua Prism PSA 10 sold for 125 recently. So these sets are, this Merlin set is getting a lot of respect. Uh, and I'm not going to say it's from the flippers. It's probably from the collectors. Um, because I think some of these guys are grading and they're just holding everything. They're not even selling it. They're just holding it and saying, I'm going to hold on to this. It's worth holding. And right now is a really good time for that to really think about uh, holding some things like that. Uh, I, I think, you know, um, long-term you're going to be fine. Um, and prices have come down on wax as well. So there is an impact there. Um, I like Merlin breaks personally. Um, I do like the blasters. My only qualm with the blasters is the blasters don't have gold atomics in it uh, gold atomic is hobby only so if you're looking for gold atomic and you're feeling lucky you need to be in a hobby break not a blaster break so just going to give you that information so i'm going to break down something on instagram this week um in terms of what i'm looking at these patterns on the merlin uh atomic refractors and trying to identify a pattern if there's uh, an actual kind of a switching of the the flipping to the collecting, PCing side, because I think that is happening. I'm seeing that. Um, 
you know, for me personally, like I said, I prefer atomic refractors. Gold atomic refractors to me are the best card you can have. Uh, best parallel. That's just my opinion. I know it's numbered to 50, but I just love the look of the card. So look for a post this week. I'll probably post something on Thursday or Friday regarding this. I'm just trying to dive more into the numbers so that I can give you guys good information uh, and data to back what, what I'm seeing um, from card letter, PSA, eBay sales. I'm going to try to really drill down hard on this and maybe do two or three comparisons on players, maybe take a veteran uh, and take a few rookies and look and see what the price movements are doing. So, um, yeah, uh, so this uh, next week I will have another episode, um, kind of a year in episode. I want to do kind of a year in review, um, not really a year in review. The podcast started in August, so it's probably going to be like a six-month review. Um and kind of just talk about, you know, halfway through the season almost where we are at with some of the players that we talked about in August. Look at that. I also want to bring up a few new players that I'm tracking myself um, as I continue to kind of ramp up and try to find some kind of hidden jewels uh, for myself, uh, players I'm watching to kind of try to help you guys. Again, the players I'm watching generally are kind of low risk, high ceiling players. And I remember... You know, remember, I always uh, encourage you, if you see a card on eBay that you do like and there is a best offer attached to it, always go in and offer a best offer first. You know, go in. What's the worst they can do? They could say no. Um, and it's a good way to kind of try to pick up some steals. I picked up a, I picked up a Rafael Leon for red ticket for 70 bucks last month. Can't beat it. Uh, it's just a, a good deal. So, you know, remember to do that. It's, it's very important. And... Um, there's the best offer on it. Just make an offer. You, you know, you, you could walk away with a really nice card at a, at a relatively low price. All right, guys. Um, I appreciate you guys uh, continuing to follow me. I appreciate all of you um, being part of this journey. Um, I do have to break down who won the competition for the World Cup uh, challenge that we did. I'm not sure how many of you entered it. Uh, I have to go in there and look. I, I think I'm, I'm trying to... Actually, I'm not going to reveal the winner yet. I'll do it next week, and I'll let them know what their prize is going to be. Um, I am going to give something away for that, for the winner. Um, I'll announce that next week on kind of our year-end episode. And, yeah, uh, remember to follow me on uh, Instagram, at SpecialOneCards. We have some really big things planned for the new year that's coming. I have some really kind of outlandish goals and uh, plans that will be coming up uh, for the new year uh, to, to really try to um, – enhance my scope and really do something I enjoy, uh, which is this and talking soccer with all of you guys. So without further ado, happy holidays to everybody. Happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, whatever you're celebrating this holiday season, happy. I uh, hope you have a great time with family, friends. Be safe. Don't drink and drive. Um, and then we'll talk to you next week before the new year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to interacting more with you guys. Uh, I need more questions, though. No one really asks me questions. Send them through the DM if you can. Or maybe I'll put them up as a poll on the, the podcast. Again, guys, I appreciate all of you. Remember to follow me at Special One Cards on Instagram. I have the same name on whatnot. We'll be doing some – we'll be doing a World Cup, actually, singles sale on Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to throw, like, there'll be, like, a lot of base. There'll be, like, a lot of uh, color, aqua prisms, nothing crazy. You can do, like, a lot of dollar auctions. Just have a little fun. 
kind of get together, grab a beer, uh, enjoy the stream. We'll talk soccer. Um, we'll talk uh, players to look out for possibly during the stream. I really want to make those kind of exclusive to the podcast uh, for people that do listen. That way they get kind of first dibs on it before I post on Instagram. I think that's what I'm going to be doing for the new year. I'm going to be really starting to talk about players on the podcast. And then later on, uh, a few days later, I'll post it on Instagram. That way you, the listener, has kind of the inside track to my kind of uh, low risk, high ceiling reward plays uh, for you to buy. Anyways, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Have a great holiday and we will talk to you next week.